This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Deepak Reddy, an orthopedic spine surgeon at South Bend Orthopedics in Indiana. Dr. Reddy, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. What are the top challenges that you're anticipating um, for you and your practice over the next uh, year or so? So uh, we're a private practice in South Bend, Indiana, and we have the pleasure of working both within sort of uh, big hospital systems. There's two community hospitals that we support, as well as a small boutique hospital and a a physician-based surgery center and ambulatory surgery center. So we uh, have the ability to sort of practice in multiple realms within the space of orthopedics. And I think there's a couple of recurring challenges that we see that are probably coming down the, the, the pipeline, if not already here. And I think one that a lot of uh, private practice physicians or physicians who are, in, uh, who are uh, part of uh, running their organizations have seen is, is staffing. And I think staffing is probably the biggest challenge that I think we're going to have to wrestle with, hopefully in the first half of 2022, sorry, 2022, um, and hopefully it lets up after that. But I think we're continuing to see staffing shortages across all facets of the personnel we need to run the hospital. And I think you can be the best trained spine surgeon in the world, taking the best care of your patients. But you really need a lot of other people at the hospital to help you do that, you know, from nurses to support staff, to radiology techs, um, dietary staff, SPD, you know, all of these different um, departments really come together to allow us to do something as complex as spine surgery. And I think from a COVID perspective, from kids off of school perspective, from, uh, you know, uh, just increasing, um, salary differentials as hospitals are offering bigger salaries for travelers to try to abate their staffing concerns, it sort of creates more and more staffing problems. I think we've seen this as a trend in the tail end of 2021, and I think I anticipate that to be the case going forward in 2022. That's so interesting. So when you're looking at these um, staffing challenges and really trying to understand how you move forward, um, especially as they'll likely continue. Are there any tweaks or changes that you're making to your practice um, or, or uh, a strategy to make sure that, you know, you're prepared to meet some of these challenges? Yeah, I think you have to, right? I think part of uh, existing within an ever-changing landscape of healthcare today is you have to be able to sort of roll with the punches. And I think in this scenario to be competitive and you have to either be offering you know, different benefits or different incentives to stay or more flexible uh, hours or or, or the ability for your workers to be retained and and really sort of disincentivize um, sort of attrition in some ways, because not only is it uh, disruptive to the organization, there's a high cost to uh, losing employees or having employee turnover to retrain new staff and get up and running. And uh, especially in a community like ours, where we're sort of a smaller community, um, you know, our name is sort of built on on creating an organization of of a a sort of family of employees and keeping that family together is sort of one of our missions. Uh, So I I think you have to sort of look at all avenues in terms of trying to keep that together. That makes a lot of sense. Now, um, when you're thinking about the next year or two, what are some of the big opportunities for your practice to grow? So um, I think there's a couple areas that we look at for growth. And I think one is um, as a private practice, you know, direct to employer or marketing and contracting seems like it's going to be a growth opportunity for us. And I think it is, you know, increasing or increasingly obvious that there's a big differential between healthcare costs in a big hospital system versus in some of the more 
nimble uh, sort of AFC type settings and, and helping employers understand what the financial ramifications of are of uh, sort of getting you those cases and uh, helping you take care of those patients in a uh, high quality, low cost environment can really be a, a mutually beneficial proposition. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, you know, the highest quality providers also do tend to be uh, cost sensitive and, and able to render low cost care in most large private practices. And I think linking those employers with those practices is going to be essential going forward. I think that's, that's one growth opportunity we see. I think the second growth opportunity we see is, you know, using big data for really improving upon some of the uh, billing aspects of orthopedic surgery. And we've been working with a sort of younger company that we've had a great experience with so far that's called Orthos, that is trying to use big data as it applies to revenue cycle management and using orthopedic-specific machine learning tools to sort of make more efficient uh, billing and collections uh, processes for orthopedic surgeons. And uh, this has been really helpful for us, uh, not only in decreasing days in AR and increasing the amount we get paid for the work we're already doing to ensure that we're getting paid correctly and efficiently, but also just having transparency to know month to month, you know, how are the collections going and be able to foresee problems or foresee variability uh, within uh, payers returning um, uh, sort of reimbursement to us is, has been very helpful. So we've had a great experience working with them. And I think that's a great growth, growth opportunity for almost all practices to see, uh, can you collect more efficiently or can you collect better? Got it. And that's just um, fantastic to hear that you've already had some really good results with Orthos and some of the other technologies that you've been using in order to streamline processes and make them more efficient. And, you know, when you look at the opportunities for the future and continue to grow and scale um, based on this data, are there any areas that you feel like um, you'll be able to grow into because you've got armed with this information? Um, any I guess, new procedures or additional mechanisms that um, you'll be able to add to the practice in order to just really um, continue to grow and develop? I think in the initial phases, it's focused mostly on, you know, just trying to uh, maximize the, the amount we collect based on the amount we're already doing. But I think looking forward, the tools become much more interesting. And as you're able to adapt to scenarios of, of sort of predictive modeling based on big data, you're start, starting to predict, you know, which uh, cases are going to be problematic to bill on ahead of time or which cases are going to lead to a delay in uh, days in AR or which are going to get rejected and have to be rebilled before it even happens based on this sort of big data concept and the historic data that we're collecting will be really powerful because we'll be able to foresee a lot of the problems that. Um, hamper our efforts to get paid or to move revenue through the practice uh, before they even happen. And I think that's really where things get exciting is where you start trying to predict, you know, where's my time uh, best spent in terms of how I allocate my billing staff and how I allocate my back end um, to really help take care of these sort of problems that, frankly, most physicians are ill-equipped to deal with and really we don't enjoy dealing with it, right? That's part of the part of practicing that we really don't enjoy taking care of. We want to take care of patients and see good outcomes and uh, really off offloading that and getting that out to people who can really optimize the process uh, looks uh, really, really exciting for us. That's fantastic to hear. Now, 
I'm wondering too, thinking about the technology side of things, what are some of the most interesting new technologies and platforms that you're seeing in Spine today? So this is an interesting question, and it's no secret that I'm a big believer of spinal robotics. And, you know, in some ways, you know, I think that is here to stay. I think there are a lot of people who have looked at robotics uh, over time and wondered, is it sort of a a flash in the pan or is it a sort of a, a, a fleeting trend? But I think what we're seeing now is that robotics is probably here to stay, much like in the early days of navigation. Um, I think adoption is slowly increasing. And I look at robotics as really the natural next evolution of navigation. And I find with spinal robotics, I'm able to use the technology to make my incisions smaller, to make my surgeries even less invasive than they were with navigation. And it's gotten to the point now where I find that my OR times are decreasing versus uh, the way I was doing things before robotics. So I, I certainly think that trend is here to stay and will continue to gain steam uh, over the years. I think another interesting area is patient-specific instrumentation. And I think we're starting to see more and more companies that will help you with CT-based patient-specific instrumentation to help correct deformity. And this is a powerful new tool, I think, that we are just uh, sort of scratching the surface of and seeing how we can maybe make deformity surgery less invasive by utilizing these technologies uh, will be really interesting. And I could foresee a future where, you know, maybe down the line that really you can pre-plan your implants to the degree where we're not bringing a hundred different cage options to the operating room, but we're really bringing, you know, three different variations for each disk space, really reducing sort of waste in healthcare and really reducing um, this sort of amazing amount of of, um, equipment we need to bring in to do spine surgery. I think the third thing that's very interesting is some of the augmented reality platforms. I think this is probably an example where I think the tech is very interesting, but I'm not sure they're quite there yet. Uh, to the point where I think it's ready for widespread rollout um, for spine surgery. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting platforms out there that give us the ability to sort of see the spine through the body, doing things minimally invasive. Uh, But I think those platforms so far are a little bit cumbersome, and they will continue to evolve and adapt. But I I could easily see that becoming a big part of our operating room over the next uh, 10 years. And I think the last thing is this idea of big data being applied to spine surgery. And I think we'll first see that in the deformity space of using uh, sort of historic outcomes and data to uh, select, you know, the upper instrumented vertebrae for a curve, or perhaps selecting, you know, how much correction needs to be applied to decrease the surgeon to surgeon variability uh, that we see with spine cases. Uh, But you could even get to the point where this is being applied to smaller cases and single level cases and trying to help surgeons make the right decision in terms of which implant makes the most sense for a given pathology or whether it makes sense to do that adjacent segment and turn it from a one level T-lift to a two level T-lift and and sort of on, on more everyday adult degenerative cases, I think there will be an application eventually for big data to be used to help us drive our decisions. That would be really interesting. And I think it sounds like a fantastic way to approach the future and thinking about how you can really serve the patients better. And I'm wondering too, how these technologies, whether it's looking at robotics and and navigation or some of the patient-specific instrumentation and augmented reality, how do those dovetail into value-based care and where healthcare is headed in terms of looking at um, really providing high value care um, at the right price point. So it's it's really interesting because if you look at the the 
trend in spine surgery is you're seeing this huge push towards doing outpatient surgery. And I think outpatient surgery dovetails very well with minimally invasive surgery. One of the reasons we've been able to drive spine surgery to more of an outpatient uh, or observation type arena is that we've made our techniques less invasive. But I think what we're finally seeing now is that less invasive or minimally invasive spine surgery is becoming increasing tech, increasingly technology dependent. And that these augmented reality platforms or navigation systems or robotics that allow us to pull off these surgeries through smaller incisions um, are somewhat cost prohibitive in an ASC type setting. And I think in order to capitalize on this trend or this wave of, of spine surgery going towards a less invasive and more outpatient stance, there's going to have to be a significant investment that gets made. And that's difficult for some ambulatory centers to realize the benefit of. And I think that there's going to be sort of creative partnerships between industry and ASC to help make this technology more uh, affordable. Uh, but I also think there's going to be ASCs that see the benefit of investing heavily in building a spine program with dedicated spine staff and equipment, and that may have a large price tag initially, but will probably they will uh, really see the benefit of over the next five years um, versus those who choose to keep uh, going with the same paradigm and trying to shirk away from that sort of that uh, investment. Um, and they may have a little more trouble trying to see those new revenue streams um, that others are capitalizing on. Um, so I, I think you're going to see that dichotomy to a certain extent. I think the second thing that that drives is as cases go to the ASC, you're going to see large hospital systems uh, no longer maybe uh, benefiting from single-level ACDFs and single-position laterals and single-level single A-lifts and some of the minimally invasive T-lifts that we do uh, that may drive towards a more outpatient arena. And as those cases become less and less pervasive in an inpatient setting, I think the inpatient hospitals, which typically are the larger hospital systems, are going to have to find new ways to make uh, spine surgery cost-effective and to continue to preserve spine as a great revenue stream for the hospital to offset some of the less well-performing revenue streams. And I think that's gonna have to happen through partnerships with, you know, in communities like ours, private practice partnering with hospital systems to both sort of creatively come together to ensure a high value, high quality care is still being done, but the care is being done in the right settings. And I think the large hospital systems that are uh, quick to adapt will be ahead of that curve. And I think the traditional sort of care models of um, bigger hospital systems that are slower to adapt will have challenges in preserving those revenue streams. That's really interesting to hear and definitely uh, seems to be the way the industry is headed for sure. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I have one more question. What do you think the lasting legacy of COVID-19 will be on orthopedics and spine? So COVID has thrown us for a little bit of a loop, you know, from its inception uh, all the way forward. I think that um, we have not been great about anticipating what's around the bed. And I think I would be the first one to tell you, I do not entirely know uh, what the third or fourth phases of COVID will look like. But I do feel that COVID has certainly pushed us towards trying to maximize what we can do as an outpatient. And as hospitals have, uh, you know, for a good reason, restricted what cases can be done in an inpatient setting, uh, a lot of surgeons have moved those cases to the ASC. So I think some of the things we talked about earlier about cases moving to the ASC and investment in the ASC or in the outpatient arena 
holds even more true due to COVID. And I think those cases that went out of the inpatient arena are unlikely to come back. I think surgeons uh, will find that they can do more at the ASC and will be looking to ramp up their, their spine programs at their ASCs. I think that also um, will sort of shed light more on the inpatient side um, to really focus on what inpatient cases should be done in an inpatient setting and need to stay overnight or for a few days, and how can we still render that care cost-effectively. The patients, however, are probably going to have to learn to navigate a new normal. And I think what we've seen through COVID is it can be very difficult on patients to learn what the new restrictions are and what preoperative testing needs to be done and maybe not having their family members around in the waiting room or visiting with them after surgery. And I think patients are going to be forced in some ways to adapt to a new normal of ever-changing care where they may be subjected to new uh, sort of restrictions or sort of if you will, hoops to jump through before they have surgery to ensure that it's sort of safe for the community as we continue through this pandemic uh, that may eventually become more endemic and we may have a new normal that we've reached that looks a little bit different than what we were traditionally used to. Well, Dr. Reddy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.